0: Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. In this episode, Dimitar Stanimirov, founder at Heresy, on using an agile framework to building and scaling a sales organization. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hello, and today I'm with Dimitar.
1: Hi, Dimitar, how are Hi, you? Hi, Paul, yeah, good. How are you?
0: Very good, thank you. I actually met you very recently for the first time, but I'm to still ask you, who are you, Dimitar?
1: Okay, so who am I? <laughs> Where do we start? Um, <laughs> my name is Dimitar, as you said. My surname is Stanley Mirov. I'm at Stanley Mirov on Twitter. I'm a startup guy. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm currently the founder of a company called Heresy, the domain is heresy.io. We're disrupting sales, one sprint at a time. Previously, I was the managing director for Stack Overflow careers here in Europe. I was with Stack Overflow for about five years. I joined back in early 2000 and basically scaled the team here from zero to about 60, launching the careers business in the UK, in Germany, France, Scandinavia, etc. And prior to joining Stack, I was a co-founder in a company which is now called WePow, but when we founded it at the time, it was called OVIA, which stood for Online Video Interview and Application. That's kind of me in a nutshell.
0: And may I ask, are you a computer engineer? Did you do that kind of studies or did you totally fell into the startup world by accident as many?
1: Uh, totally <laughs> failed by accident. I actually studied economics for my undergraduate. I went to University College London and I think it was in my second year when, as you said, completely by accident, I ended up participating in the London Entrepreneurs Challenge, which is a i'm not sure if it's still run so that's a good 10 years ago maybe more now the London Entrepreneurs' Challenge was a business plan competition. It was, you know, the days of the business plan where UCL students and London Business School students would go neck-to-neck and compete on pitching a business and developing a business plan, etc. I participated in that in my second year and we ended up winning the pitch stage of it, which I believe is when I caught the entrepreneurial bug. And yeah, the rest is history, I guess.
0: Was that already the birth of Ovia? So we became WePal was it a different project? Well,
1: it was something completely different in random. And you know I'm embarrassed almost to share what it is, but uh, I'll tell you because it's it's, you know it's a good laugh. It was something completely random. See, that was around 2003, 2004 when there were talks of Bulgaria and Romania being accepted in the European Union. And in 2007, I'm originally from Bulgaria. I've lived in London for some 16 years now. But with those talks came the prospect of investing in property overseas, and Bulgaria and Romania were particularly attractive markets for UK residents and Irish. Still fairly unknown and somewhat exotic markets, however, for local property guys here. So the idea that we had at the time was to basically provide a service. It wasn't even a product business. It was a service for property investors who were looking to tap into those markets and leverage the connections that we had in the country. And that I think at the time was good enough for us to win the, the pitch stage of the competition. The cracks started to appear once we moved on to the second phase of the challenge, which was actually running, uh, writing, sorry, writing a business plan and obviously the LPS guys stole the show there. So, but yeah, that, that was kind of what we did back then.
0: And then did you join OVR or did you found
1: No, it? no. Well, OVR came in some three, four years later. I basically, so as I said, I, I studied economics and um, it's no longer the case, but I think, you know, 10 years ago or so, if you were, you know, at UCL when you studied economics, you're most likely on the fast track to the city. Most of my friends ended up working in investment banking or consulting, etc. And I think I was at the time very much on, on that course as well. Wow. Well. But the participation in the London Entrepreneurs Challenge kind of changed my decision a little bit. So I did a brief internship at Bloomberg after graduation and, you know, I must say I didn't really enjoy what I saw. So I went back to university and I decided to pursue a master's in technology entrepreneurship, again at University College London. And that's kind of where Ovia was born. Basically, the MSc Technology Entrepreneurship at UCL is aimed at students who either have an engineering background, computer science background, which I didn't have, but I was very keen on starting a business, So myself and two other guys basically decided to start working on an idea. Part of the course uh, is also exploring the viability of a business idea. And if you conclude that it's viable, you're basically encouraged to go and start a business, which is what we did. I, however, as I said, I had this history in finance and econ. So straight after we graduated, I actually went back to the city to be a trader. But I think luckily... At the time, I thought it was very unlucky, but in hindsight, luckily, I caught the collapse of Lehman. The whole (laughs) market just went down, crumbling. My trading career basically lasted only two months, and uh, (laughs) I I joined my fellow Ovia guys uh, who I had met at university. Uh, We actually started working on a different business, which pivoted and moved into the enterprise space and what Ovia basically became, but it was a long, long story. I think
0: your title was, besides being a co-founder, you were also a sales director. So you were very quickly into sales. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, you say that with well, some no, enthusiasm. I, I, think, you
1: know, I was the sales director, but you know, you know the, the saying, you know, in a startup, you can only do two things, right? You can either write code or you sell. And, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't write code. So I had to basically learn how to sell. Which is kind of where my love-hate relationship with sales started. I, you know, I was the director of sales. I ended up actually doing quite well in it, and you know, I have basically been in the space for the last ten years or so. But I describe myself as a, as an accidental salesperson in a way. It wasn't that I, you know, I got a job in sales and I was trained and that kind of stuff. And then I joined a company's director of sales. Basically, I had to learn very quickly. I had to basically hit the ground running. Otherwise, we would have run out of money and uh, the business would have gone nowhere. But you
0: just said you have a love-hate relationship with sales yeah. how so
1: i'll start with the hate the hate is kind of the easier one so as i said I, I became this accidental sales guy and i had a lot of catching up to do i had to basically learn everything and anything there was to learn about sales so i started reading like lots of books i started listening to podcasts watching youtube videos you name it anything any sort of information i could get my hands on i started consuming And very quickly, I figured out that a lot of what was out there was very generic, very superficial in a way. If you think of a lot of the sort of established sales authors, a lot of it is very motivational. Which kind of makes sense because sales, as we know, is a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Being able to keep your spirits high is very important. But I I kind of very quickly got a bit frustrated with that because, you know, to me, you know, having studied economics, I guess my mind was always kind of... I don't want to say scientific, but, you know, I would always try to think of a model to explain something. And I'd like things being a little bit more concrete than dress well and smile and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of where I started getting really frustrated with sales. And I started thinking of other ways in which I can basically improve my own process and ensure that I'm consistently hitting goal. All those things. And I was very fortunate at the time to be working very closely with the engineering team at Ovia. And basically, I had a bit of a, a an eureka moment back then oh. where I thought of applying some of the principles, some of the management frameworks and some of the tools that our engineering team was using to stay on top of their workload onto my workload in sales. At the time, we were an agile team. Uh, our CTO was a big scrum guy. So I had this epiphany at the time and I, I thought, OK, what would my individual sales performance and my workflow and sales pipeline look like if I started managing my workload as if I was a software engineer looking to ship code versus a sales guy trying to hit targets? That was back in 2008, eight, nine, maybe. And I basically stuck with that idea.
0: Yeah, that's the love part, because you were able to apply that framework that suddenly fell in love with yeah, sales.
1: Yeah, uh, there was another part of the hate bit before we go to the love. I was very, very frustrated with the way traditional sales organizations are managed. You know, the sort of the stick and carrots, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross type of management.
0: ABC. Yes, yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> And I've seen so many salespeople who are absolutely fed up with this, but you know they don't realize that there's a different way. And again, going back to what I was saying about Agile and about Scrum and playing some of the tools, but not only the tools, but the ethos, the mentality, putting team before you—all those things essentially really inspired me, and I started working on this. And when I joined Stack Overflow, this is exactly how we ended up building and scaling the entire sales organization. And this little idea I had back in 2009 in Mexico, because our developer team was based in Mexico. Random story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but very inspiring also because sometimes it's from the most random places that you get inspiration and creativity. Let's go to Stack Overflow. Sure. So you said at the top of the show that you grew the team from basically zero, which was you, because I think it was, you were the first employee in, in okay. Europe 60. So not only you applied these agile sales techniques, but you also scaled that mm-hmm. and you had to teach that. So how did you do it? Can you tell us a little bit more about that part? Because that's fascinating.
1: Um, yeah, I joined 2011. I was the first European employee, as you said. The company was still fairly small, so about 30 people. Stack Overflow is over 300 people, I believe now. So as you said, for the first six months maybe or so, I was basically an individual sales contributor. I was selling myself, trying to validate that Europe was indeed a good market for Stack Overflow because the careers business, which is where most of Stack Overflow's revenue currently comes from, was still very much in its infancy. They only had like mm-hmm. two people selling in New York and Europe. Very much an attractive market, but no validation whatsoever. So I started selling myself, it took us about six months to conclude that yes, indeed, Europe was a good opportunity for us. We started locking in some big deals, and it was basically from there on, it was time to scale a team. Let me give you a framework of actually how to think about this, how we at Stack Overflow think about this and and how I generally think about building and managing sales teams. So it's a three-phase model that we basically applied. The first phase, they're kind of overlapping phases. The first one is essentially to test and validate. It's the equivalent of basically having product market fit, but in, in the context of sales, you know, we call it figuring out your pitch. At that moment, essentially, you don't need to be hiring a sales team, which is why we didn't hire a sales team here at first. It was one person in the context of a small a startup is normally the founder who is trying to sell the vision. Product is pretty much not there yet, or if it is, it's very rough around the edges. But the founder is selling the vision of the company, talking to early adopters, etc. And through those conversations, a) they're trying to figure out what the pitch is and what people are really buying into, but b) also refine the product. And this is how our first six months essentially panned out in the UK. That's what I was doing. We did some minor product adjustments, and once we basically were confident that we understand what people. Of bind we had tweaked the product we ended up moving into the second phase which was ensuring that we can basically train people effectively so the way we do it normally a stack overflow and i would encourage other people thinking of scaling a sales team to follow the same model because it's been tested and, and proven a stack in multiple locations is to basically hire a couple of sales people not just one i think this is a common mistake uh, a lot of startups do they're strained for resources, they have just raised a bit of money and they're like, okay, we're gonna hire a first salesperson. Nothing wrong with it. Actually, plenty of things wrong with it. But if you, hire just the, <laughs> if you hire just the one person, if you had not done a good job of figuring out what your pitch is in the first phase of the model, you run the risk of kind of completely failing here because if that person that you've hired doesn't ramp up the way you expect them to ramp up you can never be certain whether you have made a bad hire to second phase or whether you have not kind of discovered what your pitch is in the first place or indeed whether yeah. you as a founder you are unable to communicate the grand vision that you have and perhaps in the first phase of the model people were buying into this grand vision, your charisma the passion that you've had for the business but you have not quite there what the pitch was and therefore you were unable to communicate it to your salesperson the way we think about it we will Always look at hiring at least two salespeople so we can more or less A B test what I just described. So the logic here is if both of those people, you can hire more than two by the way, you can hire three, but definitely more than one. But let's let's stick with two. If both of those people are ramping up accordingly, the way you expected them to ramp up with very little inter- external interference, then I think you can safely assume that you have nailed the pitch in the first place and you're able to communicate it and teach it to other people. And from there on, you start thinking of how you make face to a scalable process. If, however, one person, for example, is ramping up well, but the other one is not then you can assume that perhaps you made a a bad hire in the case of the second person you can try to hire someone else and, and see if the problem is solved and only then move on to the third stage. And the worst case scenario is when you have two salespeople, none of them are ramping up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was about to <laughs> yeah, ask that. Well,
1: then, again, you have like two choices or two potential causes of this. Number one, you have actually not figured out your pitch just yet. And mm-hmm. people in the first phase have been buying purely into your passion and your vision and the way you describe the product. Or you have figured it out, but you are absolutely dreadful at actually teaching other people how to do it. But in either case, you should not be moving onto the third stage because that's when you run into a lot of trouble. That's when you hire a lot of people and you expect them to be hitting certain milestones and hitting certain revenue numbers and you're unable to to get them there. the way we think about this first stage figure out your pitch number two determine whether you can teach it and you can ramp up people successfully once you get there then you start thinking of how you make this whole process scalable and repeatable. And this is where my little idea from Mexico played a huge part in scaling the sales team of Stack Overflow.
0: You say that we're in 2016. Was that plan so well laid out in 2011 when you started after the six months of being on your own? So
1: the three-phase model that I describe is actually something that Jeff Stepanski, who is Stack Chief Operating Officer, had implemented, I believe, in his previous business. So I kind of inherited this, but Jeff and I see very much eye to eye. So Jeff is a developer himself, which is pretty interesting and the two of us see very much eye to eye when it comes to sales so the three-phase model was there when it started it was only the third stage that was not there and that was something that i brought into stack overflow that was basically what i used to refer as agile sales taking agile principles and tools and scaling a sales team the way, well, scaling and managing a sales team the way you would manage a developer team. So that was the thing that kind of has been iterated upon many times and implemented a stack. And we even built a software to support everything which I originally was doing manually. And what I'm doing right now is basically taking this methodology and taking the lessons learned in the tool and turning it into a standalone business, which is what Heresy essentially is.
0: So go on. What is Heresy? Is it a software that you provide sales teams with? Is What is yeah, it? Yeah,
1: it's It's a tool. It's it's a platform which enables you as a salesperson to manage your sales workload in a very easy and efficient way, forecast accurately, and ensure that every single month or whatever your forecasting cycle is, you hit goal.
0: Is it a tool for the salesperson, or is it also a tool for the one who manages the sales? Team? Well, it
1: starts off is both, which is where things become very interesting. It's a tool for the salesperson. It helps you, as I said, to manage your workload, and to forecast and to ensure that you hit goal, which is salespeople' number one uh, pain every single month or quarter. You know whatever. Again, your forecasting cycle is. But once you have enough people running on this tool, as a manager, it provides you with an incredible direct visibility into what the sales team is working on, how their actions essentially affect the pipeline, and you can manage and scale that team with very minimal interference. Which, again, looking historically into the number one complaint of salespeople with regards to management micromanagement that kind of doesn't happen anymore because you can with very light touches affect the behavior of the team without kind of interfering directly into what they do on a daily basis if you think of this in the context of a business it starts off as an individual tool which helps salespeople get their job done essentially and once you have enough salespeople, the real long-term value in this is in scaling and managing sales teams um
0: you said it yourself, the third part when you were a Stack Overflow was not fully implemented. Uh, you had to go from zero to 60. Let's say now you have to go from 60 to 5,000. How do you ensure that the scalability is maintained over time?
1: We actually did implement it a Stack. The three-phase model was already in place, but we hadn't quite gone into the third phase. This was my contribution to the model when, you know, coming up with this agile methodology, which now I'm calling heresy, the heresy methodology. I'm calling it heresy, by the way, because for most traditional old-school sales managers, if you will, managing a sales team, the way you would run a developer team is absolutely ludicrous. And, you know, it's it's a heresy, (laughs) Uh, you know, tracking progress based on burndown charts and managing your workflow using the Kanban board and and running stand-ups and the team kind of coming together to share common lessons learned and mistakes that could be avoided, good strategies that could be implemented. This is all, you know, for a lot of people, especially those who have been selling for some 20 years or so, you know, this is crazy. Salespeople generally believe to be backstabbers everyone is believed to be caring purely about their own go and their own commission they're money hungry they don't care about anything else and you know in stack overflow over the last 3 years for now uh, when we implemented my methodology there we have proven that a sales team really doesn't have to be like that and a sales team is very much a byproduct of the environment in which the individual sales members, team members have put in. And so what we managed to do at Stack Overflow is to solve a lot of those problems by building a framework which enabled the team to run and perform as if they were a team of developers versus a team of salespeople.
0: The follow-up question is here because you just mentioned that it would look ludicrous yeah. hence the name heresy for people that have been selling for 20 years. Yeah. So is your model something that can be also taught or learned, of course, if I flip the coin, as in... Ab-
1: absolutely. I mean, you know, the techniques are not really new in the sense a lot of the heresy methodology is Scrum applied to sales. It's not that it's new, it's just that the way of thinking is new in that sense. Can it be learned? Absolutely. And Stack Overflow has a team of over 100 salespeople. When I first started doing this, I was doing it with just my immediate team. Back in 2012, there were three people. Now we're looking at a sales organization, which is 100 plus people growing new people added every month into the sales organization who are running on that model, who are using the tools and who are smashing it month after month. And those are boys and girls who are spreading three different offices here in London. We've got a sales office in New York and also in Denver. So it can be easily applied to any sales team my belief, as long as people are willing to learn.
0: One of the other key things that you've done as well at Stack Overflow, and that you probably are or will be doing at Hersey, is that you have to hire the right kind of candidates. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips? How did you hire the right type of people at Stack Overflow that then would agree to follow this type of agile sales methodology?
1: Oh, good question. Stack Overflow, I've been very fortunate. Stack Overflow has a very thorough and robust hiring framework, which ensures that we only get really, really good people who can add more to let me rephrase this a lot of people basically when they talk about hiring in the context of startups they talk about hiring for culture making sure that you know that the person that we hire is the right cultural fit stack overflow had and still has i suppose a very unique way of hiring which was we would only hire people who can add more to the existing team and expand on the culture that we already have with that in mind the interview process of Stack Overflow normally spans over five or six different stages where interviewed by at least six people and Stack Overflow has this unique binary way of hiring if one person says no hire the candidate even if they have had five hires before that point there would be a no hire In terms of uh, scaling an organization, you know, it takes a little bit longer, especially when you have such a long process, but it ensures that with time, people stay with the company. Just to give you an idea, for example, in London, in the sales team, over the four years that I've been running the sales organization after we started hiring, we have had only 2.5% churn in terms of salespeople, which is absolutely unheard of. And I think a lot of it, again, I would attribute to the Harrison methodology because at the core, you're striving to build a team which is self-managed, a way way and everyone is happy to learn, collaborate and share, which makes sales actually a fun environment to work in and not the typical backstabbing money-hungry environment that most people think. (laughs) Yeah, we come
0: back to the love-hate here. Did you have any experience with also more senior team members in in sales that had to relearn or at least adapt to a new environment?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So our VP of sales He's been in sales for some 20 years or so. When I first started preaching and practicing the heresy methodology in London, you know, it was completely new to him, but he's an open in mind, you know, always looking to learn new things. And when in 2013, we decided that we were going to implement this approach, not just in London and Europe, which is the office that I was managing, but the entire sales team, he welcomed it with open hands and he's a big champion now.
0: So many success stories. And I hope that heresy will be another success story. By that, I mean, of course, not the framework, but the actual... Company you're building yep. here. So it's heresy.io, heresy.io. Is it heresy.io?
1: There will be a lot of content soon, especially for those who are looking to learn more about applying agile and, and building and scaling a direct sales team, a high performing direct sales team. And the tool will be there soon. We're working on it at the moment. So, yeah, keep an eye on it.
0: So, basically, you are solving your own problem you had like 10 years ago when you couldn't find anything about sales but motivational speeches. Now you'll have actually proper content. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You mentioned your Twitter handle at the beginning. Is there any other way that uh, if people want to reach you, they can? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. My email is dimeter at heresy.io and I'm at Mirov on Twitter.
0: And on that, thank you very much, Dimitar, and good luck for the rest.
1: Cheers, Paul.